Well, as uh, Louis has mentioned, this week uh, is to commemorate together with uh, Lent season as well. We are starting a master uh, mission with the master campaign. Uh, you know why? Because I make this mistake. Because the sermon title is Master on a Mission. It's a pun on the same phrase uh, of mission on the, with the master. So if you haven't gotten the uh, sticker, the sticker is available out there as well. Uh, the hard copies are all, have all run out, uh, so uh, if you need the devotional guide, please uh, go to our website and download it for yourself. So today's sermon, as I mentioned, is entitled Master on a Mission. One big news that has grabbed local headlines recently is the announcement by ACS Primary, Anglo-Chinese School Primary, that it will relocate to Tenga from 2030 onwards. I'm sure all of us have heard of the news by now. And some of you know I'm an Axian, so all 12 years I've been an ACS boy. And ACS Primary, in particular, was really my alma mater. And so my son is also studying there right now. And so when the news first spread, we were all quite shocked. And my WhatsApp chat with all my AC friends basically exploded. <laughs> Non-stop uh, conversations there. And I've got to be honest with you, my own initial instinctive response was, Oh no, it's going to be a co-ed school. Uh, no offense to all the ladies, huh, women and girls in our midst. You know, but boys, we have this uh, boyish thing going around, uh, silly things that we do to each other. So I thought, you know, something might be lost because of this. Maybe some of you think the distance is very far away. But for me, I stay in Jurong for the past 10 years, Jurong East. And so Tengah is just 5 to 10 minutes away. I'm pretty used to the distance. So that didn't really strike me as a very uh, big problem. I just felt the co-ed part, oh, maybe there's something lost. But nonetheless, after the news broke, uh, there was a letter that was sent out jointly, written by the bishop. Bishop Gordon Wong, the ACS uh, Board of Governors, uh, right, the governing board, uh, Richard Xiao, the chairman, and then also the ACS OBA, Old Boys Association, to explain this decision. And fundamentally, they were saying that the Methodist schools were set up as mission schools. Mission schools. And so to move to an area that is far away from the city centre, to a so-called more heartland uh, community area, that is really returning to our roots to embrace God's mission for the mission schools. Plus, we will set up a special needs school to give back to society. And so, even though I'm confronted with this sense of loss, I found myself, at the end of the day, agreeing with the decision. I agreed with the decision because I too, I recognize I'm a grateful recipient of this mission school, of people who believe in giving back to society. You see, I wasn't born into a Christian home. For the most part of my life, I stayed in HDB flats. My parents, my relatives, we were predominantly Chinese dialect-speaking English was my worst subject in school. Growing up in primary school, it was my worst subject. I always got A1 for Chinese, above 91. English, 60, 70, 80 maximum. That's what uh, I scored in uh, primary school. And it remains a mystery to this day how my brothers and I got enrolled into ACS Primary in the first place. My parents dropped out of school. I don't know how in the world we got into ACS Primary, but that's the mystery of God and God's goodness to us. And yet, it was precisely because the mission school opened its doors to my family that we are not of elite, noble background, that we are so blessed, my life was redeemed and turned around. And so I find myself at the end of the day applauding, in fact, ACS bold move to make this radical decision so that God's mission work continues in the heartlands and those who do not come from privileged backgrounds can also receive the privilege of a mission school education. But actually, as I begin to reflect I realized that going to where the needs are, where the needs are greater, is not unique to ACS or even to Singapore Methodism. Last Saturday, a few of us in the missions committee, we met up with some missionaries from Timor-Leste. And 
in case you don't know, our church leadership actually donated 150000 to the building of St. Paul Methodist School. Let's see on the slide. So all of you who have pledged and given, you get to claim a bit of credit. Yay! We also contribute to the building of this school in uh, Timor Leste. Now, when they chose for themselves where the location to build this school, they did not choose this school to be built in Delhi, which is the capital of Timor Leste, where almost all the international schools are located in the capital. Instead, they prayed about it and they made a decision to locate this school in Glano, 45 minutes drive away, maybe like from here to Tengah also, uh, for <laughs> 45 minutes. So not so near, not so accessible. But the reason they chose to do it is because Glano is where the rural communities are, to go to where the needs are greater. And when the school is completed, it hopes to house 700 students. So it's really nothing new. We are always supposed to be on mission with our master. That's our fundamental call. That's our scripture text for today as well. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, a very familiar passage. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. For the Son of Man, and these are Jesus' own words to define his own mission, he came to seek and to save the lost. Come, let us pray. O Holy Spirit, you who empowered and anointed Jesus to be the Savior of the world, we ask you come and teach us, reveal your heart to us as we hear this word today. Importantly, empower us to go on mission with you, our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So moving uh, ACS from Bakaro to Tengah is the big the news, or our local news. Let's zoom, zoom, zoom in to Amokyo Methodist Church local news, which very few people know about, and please do not show the slide yet. So uh, the relatively unknown news is that a few of us went for training as staff to a place in uh, Gao Avenue, further than Tengah. You know where is Gao Avenue? It's the near to, tail end of Tuas. You can almost see the second link. Why did we go there? We went there under NCDF's instructions to train ourselves for emergency response. In the event of fire or terrorism, we needed to know what to do. And in case you don't know, SCDF stands for Singapore Civil Defense Force. Does anyone here know the slogan or the motto for SCDF? Ta-da, now we can review the answer on the slide. It's a life-saving force. Life-saving force. And as I went for the training, preparing for this sermon as well, I thought, oh, what a timely message. The master is on a mission. And we are called to join God on this mission to be a life-saving force. Of course, we are not playing the role of SCDF. I don't expect us to go into you know, buildings on fire and then try to rescue people. But in a metaphorical, spiritual sense, we are supposed to save people from the fires of hell, right? To reach out, to save them, to rescue the perishing. However, we often lose our focus and we tend to major on the minor, as this next story illustrates. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was no more than a small little hut. There was only one boat, but a few devoted members constantly kept watch day and night, tirelessly looking for the lost. Some of those were safe, and various others in the surrounding area began to want to be associated with the station and to give their time, their money, and their effort to also rescue others. So new boats were bought, and new crews were trained, and the little life-saving station actually grew in size and in numbers. However, some of these new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that this building was just a little hard, so crude, so poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided as a first refuge for those who were safe from the sea. 
So they replaced the emergency courts with beds, put better furniture in the enlarged building. And now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for those who have been saved and for its members. And they begin to decorate it beautifully, exquisitely, because they began to use it as a sort of a gathering place, a social club. Now, fewer members were interested, therefore, to go out there on life-saving mission. And so they hired lifeboat crews, professionals, to go out there and rescue those who were shipwrecked. However, the life-saving motto still prevailed in the club's decoration, and there was even a memorial lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crew brought in boatloads of coal, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them were foreigners. The beautiful new club was in chaos. Immediately, the property community hired someone to rig up a shower house outside the club, where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they felt that these people were unpleasant, they were a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. However, there was a small group of members who insisted that life-saving was their primary mission, and they pointed out they are called a life-saving station. However, this small group was voted down eventually, and they were told that if they wanted to save lives, they can build a new life-saving station down the coast. And that's what they did. As the years went by, however, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old station. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that sea coast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs all along that shore. Sadly, shipwrecks continue frequently in those waters, but most of the passengers drown because life-saving stations had become exclusive clubs. So Amokin Methodist Church, I pray we will never ever find ourselves in that kind of situation where we forget our fundamental purpose and mission. As disciples of Jesus, our primary task is to go and make disciples of all nations, the Great Commission. We will study more of this in six weeks as well. We are supposed to go out there and save lives. Let's not forget, we are supposed to be a life-saving force. That's our core and mission. So while you know, the, this decision by ACS brought me some level of heartache, at the end of the day, I said, good. It's our fundamental core and mission. Again, our church theme for this year is Mission with the Master. It's premised on the fact that, first of all, our Master is always on a mission. If he was on a mission, then this theme is meaningless. But because he is on a mission to seek and save the lost, therefore we join him in his mission. Now, in case you are new to the Amokil Methodist Church family, uh, this theme, my Mission with the Master, is really our second leg of our overarching theme for this season of our church's life, which is God's call. God is the one who calls us. In 2019, when I first took on this role of pastor in charge, we were in the fourth year of our cycle back then, our church team cycle, to love God, to love people, to disciple and to serve. So I took on the reigns 2019, that year's theme was to serve. I preached on the book of Joshua, reminding us that God was calling out, us out into the community to serve them, to reclaim this Amokil town in God's love. But who will know, 2020 will come, you know, COVID will come like a thief, destroy and steal everything. But nonetheless, we persevered in these two years, 2020, 2021, persevered through, focused on being home with a heart, 
We studied the books of Romans, 1 Corinthians. We saw the need to be humble and to be united because this was the problems plaguing the Roman and the Corinthian church. They were divided and they were proud. And so we saw the need for humility and unity for a home with a heart to function. And in 2022, we focus on God's call, learning from Abraham, the patriarchs, on how to walk by faith and not by sight. Along the way, the leadership, we also realized that actually these are not separate themes, but that God was weaving all these themes together in this large picture. God has been calling us all along to reach out to the community since 2019. Ever since COVID made such a disruption, you know, we were all thrown off, but really God has never shifted his purpose or his needle to seek and to save the loss. But before we can reach out to the community, we need to get our own house in order. We don't want to bring people through the front door and then leave the back door open, right? That's not how church is supposed to function. We're supposed to bring people in and disciple them, that they may go out to make disciples of nations as well. And so that's why we need to get our own house in order first, home with a heart, to focus on our hearts uh, for the Lord and our love for each other. With home with a heart theme, we also intentionally brought our worship ministries together so that it's no longer us versus them, traditional versus contemporary service, but together we are the spiritual family. I don't think we are fully there yet, of course, with Home with a Heart, or now that we're beginning mission with the Master, in the end of this cycle, that we'll be perfect, obedient people. But nonetheless, we should still heed God's call to join Him and press on towards perfection. Now, this year is also our church's 45th anniversary. I want to show us a picture of our church's early years. Look at this picture. It's a picture of the pioneering pastor, Reverend Wong Un Hee. And look at the words on the car. He says, the Methodist Church, Amokyo Pioneer Work. This church was set up with a mission to pioneer God's work here in the Amokyo town. And together with the Amokyo town, we have grown. The church has grown and we continue, but we, never, we should never forget our mission to do God's mission work in this location. And even after our rebuilding, the verse that is pinned you know, at the back of our sanctuary doors, it's Isaiah 60 verse 1. Arise, shine, for the light has come, your light has come, that God's light has come to us, and the glory of the Lord rises upon us. We are supposed to be sought and light to the community. And so as a response to God's call to be on mission with the Master, we have lined up a series of uh, 45th anniversary events for all of us to participate in this year, to reach out, to be a blessing, to be a good neighbor to the Amokyo community. First of all, we will have an Easter bun distribution on the 1st of April, and it's not an April Fool's joke, okay? <laughs> we are really going out on the 1st of April to be a blessing to the community. It's not Hawcross buns. You will discover what kind of buns we are giving later on. But we just want to be a blessing to the community. Followed by a church camp, 15th to 18th of June, where we will be taught by uh, Joseph Chen, to grow in our outreach skills. And I want to be very clear here that in all these community blessings, even in the second half of the year, two events are planned, although the nature and the scope of the events are not fully determined yet. We're not doing open street evangelism, so don't be intimidated. It's really for the first part, for Easter Bun distribution. We're not going to go to every home in every block. It's impossible. Rather, we will pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us where are the homes, where are the people you want us to go to to bring this blessing to. And so we learn really to be on mission with the Master, with the Master, trusting the Holy Spirit's guidance. And we go for church camp, we are partnering Christian organizations. For example, Dr. Tan Leong has connected us with an orphanage. Actually, not really an orphanage, I also don't know, maybe a home or some sort. They are children, but they are also seniors. 
And we'll go out there to just minister to the children and the seniors, maybe just play games with them, or just sit and listen to the seniors and to serve them. But the whole point is, as we do all these things, it's the internal reflection that matters. Hey, God, why are you teaching me? Why was I so impatient just now? Why was I so fearful just now? And so as we process these things, these are the lessons we want to learn as we go out to be a blessing to the community, both in Singapore and Amokyo as well as in Johor Bahru. And so this, all these details, uh, not everything is firm up, but I thought as a church, we want to give you a heads up to some of the uh, mission, the master events for our 45th anniversary year. Now besides these uh, large-scale events, we also have ongoing projects and programs to seek and save the lost. Just in case some of us think, ah, yeah, all these big bang things, where are all the ongoing stuff? There are a lot of ongoing ministry and programs as well. Very quickly, to highlight to us, our weekly tuition ministry reaches out to more than 80 students. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you for those of you who serve as tutors. We are so appreciative. And we want to continue to target this group and work with their families as well. Not just to give them a better education, but also to see how we can teach them later on as a family, how to be a better family or financing skills. These are things that hopefully the Lord will open doors for us in the future. There's also the Take E Vista Senior Activity Center. Many of us also volunteer our time there to be active befrienders. And we will need to beef up this active befriending program in this year. There's also our usual, our ongoing Taste of Alpha Witness Evangelism program. And we thank God really for a steady stream of salvations over the years. And so God has been using this program, the people there, as well as loving our neighbors where we target you know, certain families. We journeyed with the families for the past many years. So there are large-scale events. We will go out there, make our presence known, just be a general blessing. But there are also very specific, specific like I said, love our neighbor, our families that we have been journeying with for many years. And then finally, the new initiative, the latest initiative, Friends and Buddies at Hub. Friends at Hub for the adults and Buddies at Hub for the children. And so we have invited our tuition kids, for example, to join the Buddies at Hub. And so we see how the Lord eventually will begin to grow these ministries. I want to say very clearly, in case some of you think that I have lost passion for Friends at Hub, no, I have not. But I'm only human. I cannot be in two places at once. And so naturally, I have to devote some attention here as well. And so I pray that many of you will come on board as kingdom partners in many of these ways to be a blessing to the community. As our PTM Selina, she preached, to love our neighbor is one evidence that the Holy Spirit lives in us. To love our neighbor is one evidence that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And since I've already digressed so much, uh, might as well uh, update all of us on what our church is doing, provide you more information. That supporting our outreach efforts really is the prayer ministry with prayer throne and prayer and praise. Prayer throne is, and it's via Zoom on Tuesdays 1 p.m. or Thursdays 8 p.m. So whether you're working day or night, there's an opportunity for you to join us in prayer. You don't even need to come in person. It's via Zoom so we can pray alongside brothers and sisters in Christ. And then there's also the prayer and praise third Wednesdays at Joshua Chapel where we linger in God's presence. And I like this platform because really for me, this is like the HQ. And God often downloads through the Holy Spirit things for the church onto my heart. And I begin to share it with the leaders. And then from there, things start to, to roll forth. I truly believe that without prayer, unless God moves, really all our ministry, all that we try to do for Him is in vain. And so these are very important supporting platforms. But just like global missions, not everyone can go, but everyone can give and everyone certainly can pray. 
I'm thankful to those of you who also support us in your own prayer time, individual or cell group using the prayer mail as intercessors. In terms of giving, I'm really thankful to the Lord and to many of you for your generous giving. But in terms of praying, can I say lovingly, we can certainly grow in the area of prayer to be greater intercessors, to pray for what's happening in and around our church. Because even if we cannot be an active participation, uh, participant on the ground for valid reasons, surely all of us can pray. In terms of missions as well, we will start to uh, resume certain exploratory mission trips and mission fields, perhaps in Southeast Asia first, and then we see how the Lord will lead us. We cannot go, but we can pray. And that's the most important supporting structure really is our cell group, the backbone of our church, whereby we keep each other accountable for our Christian walk to make sure we don't burn out, do too much for God, and we forget to spend time with Him. Or on the other hand, don't do anything for God, we're just coasting along. So the cell group, that class meeting is really to keep us in the straight and narrow path to balance our walk with the Lord and yet being on mission with Him. So these are just some big pictures of what's happening in our church for this year or ongoing. Coming back to the sermon, as you have seen in our Knowing God sermon series, God is Lord, Master, Judge, and King. Our God, our Father, through Jesus Christ, He has revealed His great love for us so that whoever believes, and in the Greek, believing is not once-off, but a continuous, continuous sense, whoever keeps on believing, anyone who keeps on believing that Jesus Christ and His Son shall not perish but have eternal life. And so this is John 3.16, our famous verse. We all know this. Our rightful response to God's love is to follow and obey Him wholeheartedly because He has purchased our salvation. He has redeemed us from sin and death through His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The whole point really is this. Do we recognize that sin is so severe and the Savior so marvelous that because He has saved us from such a great depth of sin that we give our whole lives in return? Unfortunately, many of us, we do lose sight of God as master, just like the Israelites of old. And Pastor Lee preached from Isaiah chapter 1 just a few weeks ago, which I felt was very timely. Let me just read the three verses to us, from verse 2 to verse 4. Hear me, you heavens, listen earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. So here in the opening verses of Isaiah, we hear God's cry of anguish. He has reared children. He brought them up, but they have rebelled against Him. He's the good, good father whose will is always directed to his children's good. And yet his children have forsaken him. They have turned their backs on him. If you are a dad or mom in a similar situation, you kind of experience how that uh, God feels. You show love, you show concern, but all these are spurned and the children rebel. Then Isaiah uses a ridiculous example to show the extent of Israel's rebellion. He says, look, even a brute beast like the ox knows its master. And the stubborn donkey, even this stubborn donkey, knows how to go home. Yet God's people, who are supposedly gifted with the very laws of God, who have tasted and seen of the goodness of God, His miraculous working power to deliver them from Egypt, to protect them from enemies, yet these people don't even know and recognize who their master is. What a joke, right? 
But before we are too quick to judge the Israelites for their foolishness, it's important also to ask ourselves the same question. Do we truly know who our master is? Who God our master is? No doubt many of us will give the textbook answer. Of course, Jesus, God is our master. But God is not interested in textbook answers. He searches our hearts. He knows what is truly in our hearts. Jesus insightfully taught in Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus gives us the reality. Our heart cannot have two masters. It's impossible. You will only choose one, ultimately to be your master. So let's just do a very simple test of this reality. How many of those people who grew up with you in church do you still know are God-loving, God-fearing, Bible-loving Christians today? Think of the ones who brought you to church. Think of the ones who discipled you. Think of the ones who grew up with you in church, in cell group, for example. How many of them are still in churches serving the Lord actively today? Sadly, in my case, the people who brought me to church and some, even one or two who discipled me, they are no longer in church today. And so the reality is this. The lure of money and material comfort is real. Right? Let's be honest. These are real. And many people are drawn back into the world where pleasure and money reign as masters. What about us? Have we knowingly or unintentionally allowed money, possessions, or other pleasurable pursuits, or even people to become our masters, to rob God's place as the rightful master of our lives? And that's why we must always stay vigilant, dutiful, watchful, to watch over one another in love and encourage each other to stay on mission with our master. At our Ash Wednesday service just a few days ago, I shared how Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush was like when he received his assignment. He was truly standing on holy ground and Moses had to remove his sandals to embrace humility, hardship and honesty in order to be mightily used by God. If you missed that uh, service, you were not able to come. It's up on our usual podcast channels, our YouTube channels, so you can listen to that sermon for yourself. But what I didn't share that night were the objections, the questions, the excuses that Moses raised. And so let's look at them right now as he met God at the burning bush. First of all, Moses doubts, and he asked the question, Who am I? I think this is quite a legitimate question in some sense. We don't really know, uh, you know our value from God's point of view. But I really like God's answer. God says to him, I will be with you. And so this means that God doesn't really bother whether we have abilities or disabilities. It really doesn't matter, because Moses' question is, Who am I? And God's answer is, It's not about you. (laughs) I will be with you. So God's presence going with us, that's the greatest assurance. Then Moses asked, I would think a legitimate question, if I come to the people of Israel and I ask and tell them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say? And so God reveals here in this encounter in Exodus 3, 13-14, his divine name, I am who I am, the great I am. In the same way, as we go out to the community, We are bearing the name of Jesus, our Master, that mighty name, the Great I Am, the God who is alive, He sends us out. We never forget we have this awesome privilege to carry God's presence and His name. Then Moses asks the next question, what if they still don't believe me? And here God assures Moses by 
empowering him to do signs and wonders. The account in Exodus 4, verses 1 to 9, you can read it for yourself. God is using Moses' staff and so on and so forth to do miracles. Similarly, I believe God's miraculous working power will accompany us as we go on mission with him. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 18, the ending of Mark's gospel, Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And as you go out there, verse 17, Jesus says, These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. In other words, God's protection will be with God's people as they do His mission. And finally, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And so that's God's assurance to us too as we go out there, as we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us to the various people, the homes that we meet, if they ask for prayer, if they are sick, we pray by faith. According to Mark 16, we will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. And who knows what God will do as we pray for the people if they give us the opportunity to do so. Of course, we will not impose and force our way in uh, we will do it sensitively and gently, and so there will be training provided as well before we go out to the community. But God's miraculous working power will accompany us as we go out in His name. But even so, despite seeing the miracles, if you read the Exodus chapter 4 account, He continues to object. And Moses says to the Lord, Lord, I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. And by this time, God is weary of uh, Moses' rationalizations, His objections, and so he responds, not with assurance, but with a command. Go! <laughs> Go! I will teach you and help you what to say. Teach you what to say. And so I believe in the same way, the Holy Spirit will empower us fully. If point number three was about miraculous working power, here it's about ordinary power. Even our speech, we don't know what to say. But God will empower us to speak by the power of His Holy Spirit. But as I said, mentioned earlier, as a church, we will also provide training to help us to be sensitive to the needs of the people around us. But despite all this, Moses gave a final objection. Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> Lord, please send myself leader. <laughs> please. Do you know how God responded to Moses? The scripture says, the anger of the Lord burned. <laughs> so we don't want to incur the wrath of God as Moses did. Yet despite this, God was still gracious enough to send his brother Aaron to go alongside. But God never excused Moses from his assignment. He wouldn't let Moses go. Okay, I will send your brother. He will be your spokesperson, but you are still to go. Similarly, we will go out on an assignment with God this year. We will not go as individuals, we will go in pairs, which is really the model that Jesus exemplified as well. He would send out his disciples two by two, and if you have young ones, family members, children, bring them along. These are great opportunities to disciple our own children as well. God knows how much we need others to come alongside us for our mission, and sometimes our children may surprise us. They may be more passionate <laughs> than us. So there's always great things we can learn, even from the young one in our midst. And that's what we will do as a church as well. We will go out at least in pairs and see how the Lord will lead us on His mission. The only thing is, let us not give excuses or raise objections or say, God, please send someone else. Just to be clear, mission with the Master doesn't mean that we're trying to save ourselves, alright? Rather, it is because we have been saved. 
And we know that God's heart and mission is to seek and save the lost, so we partner Him with His mission. Let me close by reminding us why we ought to give 100% allegiance to God, our Master and King. I have shared this story before. It's such a fascinating story that I thought it's important to remind us of it again. There was one, uh, once uh, Tony Campolo, a preacher, he was on a train in London. In those years, they had very small separate compartments to, uh, on the trains. And he was sitting in one of these little compartments, sitting across two men who looked to be in their late 30s. They were about 10 minutes out of the station when one of the men had an epileptic seizure. He slipped off the seat onto the floor. He was trembling and then he was shaking. As soon as he slipped off the seat, his friend quickly rolled up a newspaper, inserted it between his teeth to keep him from biting his tongue. When the seizure was over, his friend lifted him up, helped him back onto the seat. He took off his own coat and then put it around his friend to keep him warm. And then this man turned and then spoke to Tony Campolo. I hope that didn't upset you too much, mister. We never know when these seizures are going to occur. But he hasn't had one for more than two and a half months. You see, here's the story. We were in the Vietnam War together. He's British. I'm American. We were both seriously wounded. I lost my leg. And at that moment, he put up his trousers to reveal an artificial limb. Then he went on to say, My friend here, he had half his chest torn away by the explosion of a hand grenade. There was shrapnel all over his chest. He couldn't move without feeling excruciating pain. The helicopter that was supposed to come and rescue us uh, to take us to hospital, it was blown out of the air by the enemy rocket. And that seemed to be the end of our hopes. It was then at that moment that my friend here, somehow he got up on his feet. I don't know how he did it, but he reached down, he grabbed hold of my shirt and began to pull me through the jungle. Every step was marked by agony. He screamed in pain with every single movement he made. I yelled at him that he should save himself and that there was no way he was going to get both of us out of the jungle. But somehow he did. A year and a half ago, I found that he had this condition. And so I sold off my condo in New York City, I got rid of my car, and I came over here to be with him because someone had to be with him all the time. As I said, we never know when these seizures are going to hit him. And so that's our story, mister. Maybe knowing it will make it easier for you to understand this whole chaotic scene that you have just witnessed. Tony Campolo then looked at this heroic, sacrificial man and he said, Hey, you don't have to apologize to me. I'm a professional speaker. I need stories when I speak. And you've just given to me one of the best stories ever. The man then answered, Please, please don't be impressed. There's nothing to be impressed about. After what he did for me, there isn't anything I wouldn't do for him. After what he did for me, there isn't anything I wouldn't do for him. And dear Christian, after what Christ has done for us, really, there isn't anything we shouldn't do for him. Come, let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you did not abandon us or leave us alone in our sin, but you came to seek and save the lost of which we are grateful recipients of your mercy, your love. Lord, we pray once again, you will fill our hearts with your amazing love, with your grace. That, Lord, as you call us as a church to be on mission with you, help us always to have a vision of the cross before us that truly give us that joy and passion to rescue those who are perishing, to be a life-saving force once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.